Good morning, good morning, good morning. Uh Uh-uh. No. Participation. Good morning. All right, come on. Yeah, let's, let's be alive here. Good job. You guys rock. So a little bit about me that if you know me, you may know, but you may not know. When I was a teenager, my dad taught me how to golf. Um, so golfing has become a, a cool part of my life, you know, I, to carry on the family tradition. Um, it has a special place in my heart. I do enjoy playing with people like uh, Bob Bresch over there and Nick Deli over there. Um, and also, my dad still lives in this town, and my brother in St. Robert, so we get to play with each other. Um, golf, though, has a weird... It's got some history to it that doesn't make it all pleasant to everyone. Uh, one thing is, in the beginning, it was created like an exclusive sport for the rich or super important people, all the cool people. And uh, it's kind of neat. In, in modern days, modern America, it's... A lot of the ways gone away from that. They try to make some courses be reasonable prices sometimes. And uh, anyway, they try to make deals. They try to make it more uh, open to people. But not everyone uh, would agree with that. Not everyone would want that. There's a lot of country clubs that do not want strangers, stranger danger. You know, they don't want strangers coming to their country club. Uh, It was kind of a, I had a, Strange experience in Florida once. My brother and I and, uh, and my dad uh, saw a thing in the paper that this, uh, this one course that's semi-private. So they got their country club. They got their cool little group. But they're open to the public, sort of. Um, but they had in the paper like a special deal that week for whatever. You know, I don't know. Buy one, get one free or something. So we were like, oh, my goodness. Well, we'll try that course. It sounds kind of cool. So we went there. And... Uh, the guy in there must not have read that note. Whoever sent the ad in the paper, you know, was not the guy that was dealing with us to the public. And he said, my brother couldn't golf that day because if his shirt wasn't collared and buttoned or whatever. I mean, but the joke of that was my brother, Tiger Woods was the biggest thing of the time. My brother had a Tiger Woods golf shirt on. It was a very expensive, nice, but it wasn't the... Whatever that guy's vision of fitting in my little country club, it didn't fit. So, of course, we left and said, okay, if you don't want our money, that's fine. You know, we'll go somewhere else. And we had a good time somewhere else. But um, a lot of times, um, well, the reason I bring this up is we're in the middle of a series on hospitality. And what I would call hospitality, my own definition would be the art of making people feel welcome. And at that golf course, I didn't feel welcome. And there's been, I think all of us had probably many, many times in our lives that whatever group we found ourselves by or temporarily in the presence of, they didn't make us feel very welcome. But it's important that we realize something is, this is against our culture right now for me to say this out loud, so gasp. Um, church was never meant to be an exclusive country club. It's not. Church is not meant to be a country club that's exclusive and says, you guys stay out, we're in. If whatever you don't look like or whatever or act like or whatever, you can't fit here. 
Now, again, in our modern culture, it's pretty funny that it's exactly like Jesus' culture. The religious people of the day in Jesus' culture had that exclusive, this is our country club, and if you want to fit in, you got to be a certain way. And Jesus fought against that his whole time. So we're going to dive right into Scripture. Let's look at uh, Luke 7, 36. And I thought today... I would enjoy bringing out my Bible, so my Bible doesn't have giant print. So the first time many people see Vince Allen with those on. Thank you. It's not all about me. All right. So Luke, uh, Luke 7 has a few different stories in it, and they're actually all connected, pointing to uh, how they laid it in order, all kind of really connects to this final point at the, at the end. Um, if you look at the headings in your Bible, which interesting that they put headings in there so you kind of get an idea of what's going to happen in the story. But it, it's a funny heading that Jesus anointed by a sinful woman. So um, it's just, that's just a funny perspective that that was actually wrote like that. But So verse 36, now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair. She kissed them. And poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, so this is his own thoughts, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So Jesus answered him. So again, now it says Jesus answered him. He didn't say that out loud. Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, knew what this guy was thinking exactly. So Jesus supernaturally knows what he's thinking. So Jesus says, he answered him, saying, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. You know, so a lot of my sermon's not going to notice this, but um, Simon was open here on hospitality to a degree, right? I mean, he invited him to his house, and he had his house so open that a woman from town could just walk in. Okay. So there it's something to be noted here. And he's receptive when Jesus is like, I want to tell you something. He's like, tell me, tell me teacher. So then verse 41, two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. Jesus says, you judge correctly. Then Jesus turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, which was custom. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. Again, a custom. But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. 
You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume. So this is expensive perfume she's poured on his feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. So if we kind of sum up what happened, you know, Jesus was invited by a religious leader to his house and a known sinner. And I think it's safe to assume if they're like, if he's like, she's such a known sinner in this town that you wouldn't want her to touch you. It's, you know, we're talking promiscuous behavior, probably sexual sin, which right now is the highlight of, again, It's the most highlighted thing in our current world of uh, Christianity. And then uh, she, it's just, it's a mind-blowing experience to picture that, is her crying on his feet, her tears so much she can wash them, and used her hair to do that. And then Simon, I, I love the part he judges Jesus as well. He must not be a prophet because he let her touch him. Now, I was raised like that in church, by the way. Uh, on ac- I mean, they accidentally kind of taught this. They were scared to death. I, I guess it's because the generation before me, that generation in the 50s, 60s, 70s, many had gotten pregnant before marriage. And then became Christians, and they just didn't want that to happen to their kids. I mean, that's, that's really what it was. They don't, I don't want my kid to fall into my bad things I did. And we all have that in us as parents. I mean, as adults, we are like, I don't want you to live my mistakes. So how they taught us that in church was, I want you to go out and preach the gospel to the world. But don't touch them. And, are, you know, it's like, be careful. Don't hang out at the party too long. Don't go to a place where alcohol is because you're going to get sucked in. And it's going to ruin you, right? Has anyone experienced that? I mean, that was my, that was my gospel. When that wasn't Jesus's way, right? The Pharisee was saying that, but Jesus was like, um, had a different way. Now, Jesus is cool that this religious person right in front of him don't get it, but he wants to teach him. He does. He tries to teach him. He wants to show him a lesson. That's, that's, my, that's a weakness of mine now. I, I mean, I, I would want that, but it's too easy for me if I want to. I would rather argue and tell them they're wrong that, than to do. Jesus was patiently loving that man where he was. But Jesus' answer to him was hospitality begins with love. And he's, and he's saying love begins with forgiveness, receiving forgiveness. The amount of forgiveness, you, you know, you end up getting the love of God in you. So, so my question, what, I mean, why, why would Jesus tell this story to Simon? If, if the conclusion it sounds like he got to is she loves more, she loves more because she made more mistakes, right? She's been for, and then she got forgiven of those mistakes, then why is he even saying, is he rubbing it in? You were only forgiven us so much, so now you can't possibly ever love like her? Is that what he's trying to say? I mean, no, right? I mean, he, 
maybe there's something to that. Maybe he's saying a little more like maybe there's hope for Simon and he can grow here. See, Simon's stuck in a bad place. He couldn't see that woman like Jesus did. He thought uh, less of Jesus for allowing her to touch him. I think to know where Simon's come from, how we get there, and again, like, like I said, my, my church upbringing got there, is sometimes in 1 Corinthians 8, it says... So he's talking about idols. He's talking about people eating food sacrificed idols in that little section. But he, he talks about this big principle overarching, which is we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up and love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. So when you think you know something, especially about God, which is Simon's place here. He thinks he knows about God. He studied God his whole life. That's all he's done. That is his job is to know about God. And he thinks he knows about God, but he doesn't. He doesn't know. He doesn't know God. He knows about him. He knows at least a lot of facts. You know, when you have facts that are just knowledge, but they're just facts and they're not connected to anything in the heart. You know what that's called? That's called trivia. So, right? That's what it is. It's a trivia night. Those are fun. I love them, you know. You tell information that you have memorized on accident sometimes or whatever. It's stuck here. And it accomplishes nothing else in life but winning a trivia contest. And our Bible knowledge can be the same exact way. That's where Simon was. His trivia knowledge was awesome. He could win a trivia contest with anybody about the history of God with Israel. But did he know God where that in, encouraged his heart to love someone? No. So he thought he knew, but he didn't know as he ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. He knows you, you know him. If you love God. Jesus said that loving God is because of the forgiveness of, of how much forgiveness you received. Well, guess what? We all have an unlimited amount of forgiveness to receive. The problem is if our upbringing of our church, our thinking of Christianity was I'm going to learn how to control my circumstances, number one, where it doesn't put me in a place where I can sin. If I don't go to a party, I'm not going to be tempted to drink, right? If I don't buy alcohol, I'm not going to be drinking alcohol excessively. If I don't go hang out with people that are promiscuous, I might not be promiscuous. It's like we can set our lives up to be perfectly conducive to not sinning these certain sins, but there's other sins still in there, like not loving, not showing, not having mercy in your heart. You see this broken woman, and you don't feel mercy. You feel like, oh, he's letting her touch him. Now I'm going to have to wash my furniture over here. She came in here and was yuckied up the place. I've had very good Christian friends of mine, beautiful people that were worried that we have a mission downstairs and a lot of people are coming in that are addicted to drugs right now 
and we allow that. And they're going through stuff right now, brokenness. And by having them in my space, it's allowing their little cootie demons to be messing, you know, making the spirit of God not move here. And I'm sorry they're wrong. The spirit of God moves here if you know it or not. If you need help with that, come and talk to me. I will, I will pray with you. So the point on this is we need to be built up by God's love. It grows us. That's what grows us, his love. And by accepting we need it helps. But not be puffed up by knowledge. The answer is love. Jesus is telling Simon, you need a savior. (laughs) You need to be aware you need a savior. We can all get stuck here so easily. In this story, you may be like, yes, I would have... You know, this is where we plug ourselves in as the hero usually. I, we, we could say, I'm merciful. I care about mercy for people. And I, and I do. And there's times I do. But there's times I don't that I am more like Simon. It's good to reread the story and say, me being Simon. Where am I Simon in this world right now? Where am I him? Judging people. We all do it. The second problem we see is Simon's perception. It's just the way he sees things. So he's right about one thing that he's like, he's like, Jesus don't see her. He don't know she's a sinner. He don't see her as a sinner. He's right. It's not because Jesus don't know, (laughs) right? He thinks I am more connected with understanding God because I could see her as the sinner she is. And Jesus can't. He must not even be a prophet. I mean, Clearly, because he don't see things. And he, he's right that Jesus don't see her as a sinner. But it's not because that Jesus cannot see her sinnerness or whatever. Jesus can see beyond that. He sees more. How do we know we're seeing from God's view? I mean, but what we need to see is the kingdom of God's culture from, from that culture. From Jesus' love lens. Put those love glasses on. Just now, I love you guys. Yes, I see more clear. That's what we got to do. We got to like take off our, our culture teaches us a way to think our whole lives. It does. No matter who you are, you get taught by our culture every day according to what you let in your mind. You get taught how to not love, how to see things uh, from a power point of view. Like Simon, he's powerful. He's got the up, upward looking down on her view. And he feels more powerful than Jesus. How funny. And not from a, a religious culture either. We don't want to see from a religious culture or the world American culture. We want to see from God's culture. Which is way different. How do you know if you're seeing from God's view? Well, number one, you're not judging. Judgmental eyes. Judging. And if there's one weakness that we all have way too much, especially where we live, 
Just look at social media for a half a second, right? How many conversations on Facebook lead to someone being, uh, saying, I want this Jesus, you know, I clearly by your words of convincing me, I'm stupid and you're right. I, I just want this God of yours. How many of those? Never, never. That's how many. Because they're starting from judgment and we all do it. God sees our messy life. He sees our, he sees our, there's a sinner coming to me. And he sees who we're going to be when we receive his forgiveness. When we try to let him change our heart and we start to see how to be more like him. That's, he sees that too at the same time. And he invites to teach us how to do that. He could teach any of us how to do that. But again, it goes back to that knowing I need a savior. If I've, if I've lined up my life looking pretty good, I might not realize I need that savior. So uh, a part of the story that, I mean, you just read the story sometimes, a story like this, and, and you really, you miss the power of that moment. And how Simon was able to see this woman like that. And, and then just all the things that are going on in his mind. He's just like, man, Jesus don't know. He's being touched by a sinner and all. I mean, all of this. What did he just miss? Holy cow. He was, he was, he had front row tickets, okay? All of the people that were there had a front row seat. To God saying, look at this and look what I'm doing in this woman's life right now. And she balls her eyes out. She's suddenly free. It's the most beautiful thing, intimate thing. It's almost too intimate to like, how dare I be watching? Because it's so intimate. I, I am humbled. I'm like, oh, I just, man, I'm being allowed to see this. I shouldn't be allowed to see this. But God and her have let me in to this moment. It is a holy moment. It is the most holy moment in the world right there. And he can't see it. He's over here. Man, Jesus just don't know. I mean, gosh, to, to get stuck there at all. And I have been stuck there. And we're all stuck there sometimes. It is sickening to me. It makes me want to throw up of that I have done that and missed an opportunity ever. And it's a lot. I guarantee it's a lot. I don't want to count them. I say, please forgive me, Lord. Let me not see that videotape of, of those times that I've done that and missed the most beautiful thing on earth. And the cool thing, I've got to be a part of one of those moments. So I should know better. I've had those moments where I get to share the love of God with someone and see that brokenness, that crying, that release into freedom and man, it's the best thing on earth by far because you're partially not on earth. You are in the kingdom of God. You're suspended in time right then. It's like time stands still. You're getting to be a part of heaven is rejoicing so powerfully right then. The angels are just, we're singing a song. 
And this person is receiving from God. And God's like, you know what? How I created you, Vince, I created you where you can feel this with me. You can do this. You could share this moment with me and with her or with him. And I'm letting you in on that. God said that you, you can point to yourself, you, me, you are a royal priesthood. You are meant to connect with the kingdom of God and do that. And instead, you know, we're a royal priesthood. We're not self-appointed judges. How little of a life Satan tries to trick us into. To judge all the time, duh, 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 and be a Simon sitting there missing out on the most beautiful thing he ever saw in his life, and he don't see it. He can't even, he don't feel it, he don't see it. And we do that, and we're judge, 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 judge. All we want to do every day, judge. Why? It makes me feel good about myself. Why do you think you have a show on TV that's about hoarders? Why? Because if I can point at her hoarding and say, I don't do that, at least not that bad. <laughs> The little hoarding I do in my garage is not that bad. I mean, I'm not collecting any trash bags or, well, not those kind of trash bags or, you know, I'm not collecting those kind of plastic bottles. Whatever. I don't collect dirty diapers. I mean, look at how messed up she is. I feel pretty good about myself. Judging makes you feel good about yourself. And it's all, it's all fake. Satan's trying to lead you into that. And the whole time, you're getting suckered along and you're missing out on your royal priesthood to be bringing the kingdom of God into someone's life and seeing it wreck them. And God invited you to that. We are called to a world of hurting people. Do you think there's hurting people in our world? We're all judging everyone and saying, this stupid world's going to hell in a handbasket. And I wish God would do something about it. He's like, I am, I'm trying, but you're not joining me. So I can't, my hands are tied because I designed it to go through you to show them what I look like. I look like love. Can you show them what love looks like? And we're like, well, I would, but look at them. They're a sinner. I had a, <laughs> oh, Lord, help. <laughs> I had a friend, um, one time I became the director of the mission because God told me to. <laughs> he seriously, he gave me a dream. He woke me up, Vince, this is a message you're going to preach. I'm like, oh, that's a neat message. I'm going to write it all down. And it was awesome. Beautiful message about what are you doing for the poor? And I had it all ready. And then he's like, <laughs> you're going to preach that this week, but guess what? Read it for yourself. Oh, wow. Holy cow. Oh, you meant me too. It's easy to preach about it. The first day I went down there, I gave a speech. I just said, everyone come here in the mission. Everyone gather around. This is what I'm about. I said, I'm not going to exchange food for God for you. I'm going to love you no matter where you are. But if you want God or you want prayer, I will pray for you. And I promise I will. If you say, I don't want prayer right now. Will you pray for me at home? I will. 
was like, and I'm inviting anyone that wants to go to church. I'm actually preaching this Thursday night. So I was like, come on down if you want. I had a couple people, oh, we're going to go. We're going to go. I'm like, okay, good. I was like, but you don't have to to impress me. I'm, I'm going to treat you all the same either way. And that's our approach at the mission. Because that's how Jesus did it. He just loved. But they did show up that Thursday night, okay? So some people talk and say, oh, yeah, I'm going to, you know, to impress. But they showed up. When I gave an altar call, which come to the front if you want anything from God, they ran, like ran, ran. Almost they could have ran people over if they were in the way. They ran to the front, hit their knees, and like crying out to God. And over the next while, months, I was meeting with them a lot and praying for them and trying to help them through serious alcoholism. And if you know anything about alcoholism, um, it's not just the alcoholism usually. It's, there's a root that's further. They had roots in hurt stuff from their past. So the one guy, eventually, you know, they would quit drinking for a couple weeks and they'd drink a little more and, or whatever. They were wrestling, but they were towards God. They were just feet pointed towards God. I want God. And they're like, he's like, can you baptize me? And I said, Yes. That Sunday when he came in to be baptized, he smelt of alcohol. Clearly he had drunk the night before. To, I, you know, I would say he didn't drink that morning, but he had drunk pretty enough the night before that I could smell it on him. And I talked to him about baptism that morning and what it meant to him and what it means. And he, he was right on and he was ready. He wants, he wants to change. He wants difference. And we did it, and we baptized him, and it was so beautiful. It was the most beautiful thing to be a part of, and him just, I mean, he, he could almost float it out of there of how on top of the world with God he was. Well, we had a woman at church that had been very loving and influential to me and Marie and others for the whole time she was, I mean, she'd been there for years and giving words, uh, prophetic words to people, uh, God loving them all over the place. But that morning she could smell alcohol on him and she was mad at us that we baptized him anyway, that he had had the smell of alcohol in him. Some of us experienced the baptism as the most beautiful thing in the world like Jesus did with the lady. It was the same thing. I experienced that as the most beautiful thing. She experienced it as something terrible. Oh my gosh, what kind of church is this that allows this? A sinner (laughs) to be baptized. (laughs) You know, we we do church that way here. We invite people to come and take communion regardless. We say come. Communion is saying, you know, I remember Jesus. We say you're invited and you don't have to jump through a hoop to get that from me. And, and that's our belief. And we get judged for that. We get judged for all kinds of letting whoever come and stay here as they are pointed toward Jesus, trying to grow in God. And we get judged for that. Like Jesus got judged for that. It's on purpose. It's not because we're too stupid. Like poor Jesus didn't know what he was doing. He let a woman touch him that he shouldn't. He's just so unaware. We're aware.
But the question for us, that may be like speaking the choir, but I think it's not. I think all of us, we can say that's how I feel, but we all have room to open up a little more of our wall of our heart, of our rules, of something that we're judging. Or especially, are we wasting time talking? You know, God made a revelation to me one time, and it was just like, um, you won that argument on Facebook. Good job, Vince. He's like, what was your goal? What's the goal of those words right now? What's your goal? What's the goal of any word you say in your life? What's your goal? Because you will accomplish a goal. Maybe it's to win. If you're married, you know that that's not the best goal. (laughs) Right? If you're a married couple, you know. Or even boyfriend, girlfriend, you know. That's, that's not a good goal. It, it will lead you to winning all alone. You'll, you'll be over here all alone winning. What's your goal? If Simon had read Micah... As Bob talked about, what does the Lord require of me to act justly, love, to love mercy? Love mercy. Do you love mercy? If you see someone getting mercy that don't deserve it, do you love that? (laughs) I don't always love mercy. Because I get sucked into my American culture that teaches me on movies that this person did something really evil at the beginning. So when they die, they should die a painful death. Like death isn't good enough. They should be tortured. That's what I'm taught by this culture. That's not love and mercy, is it? It's like you're feeling bad about the hurt person in the beginning. So you're taking that into Satan's way of how to win that. Well, we shouldn't be merciful. This guy don't deserve mercy. Jesus said, everyone loved mercy. As they were killing him, he's like, God, forgive them. Don't hold this against them. <laughs> Love them. I want them to come to know me. And how, how am I on that scale? And to walk humbly with your God. And maybe for a lot of these, this is your mantra. You know, maybe this is what you walk by. But like I said, we all have a place. We have a place that it's not. I mean, who, who do you, if, if we read the story again. Want everyone, please just close your eyes if you don't mind. No one's going to sneak up on you or anything. Okay, I promise you. It's safe. Just close your eyes and hear. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So, by the way, you're the Pharisee, okay? You're sitting there being the Pharisee right now. You're imagining that. Imagine this is my house. I invited Jesus over. Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. 
When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee, you, had that had, if when you had saw this, you said to yourself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, and that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. And so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them loved him more? I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned and said, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but the woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. The end of the story, Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven. Which made guests begin to say, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Okay. So what do we do? What do we do with this? What if we're mostly good at <laughs> not judging What if we're somewhat? What if we're no good at that? What if we really haven't felt the impact of what Jesus has forgiven us for? We've lived a pretty good life. We're not living that sinful life. We've done pretty good. What if that's us? Well, a good prayer, I think, is give me a revelation of my need for a Savior, Lord. That's my prayer. Give me a revelation of what what, what my need is for a savior. Where am I in need of a savior? Where am I holding people or having that power over people or, you know, and coming from judging? Where am I there? And another prayer is break my heart. If I see something and it didn't break my heart, if you, if you saw that woman or the baptism and it didn't just burst your heart and break it and then just joy of, wow, this awesome thing. If, if you don't see that, you can pray for God to do it. He can break your heart. He can soften you. 